The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. Week 4, not quite in the books, but goodness gracious, do we have headlines. We've got Texas A&M down, Clemson down, Notre Dame with a statement win against Wisconsin. Um, you know, the, the Clemson Tigers, what do we do from here? There's a lot to piece apart just from the top of the rankings. Plus, we've got some uh, incredible incredibly bad beats from all across the FBS landscape and some interesting twists in our own locks journey. Gentlemen, I would like to begin uh, not like quite chronologically, but as we have people that are joining us here at youtube.com slash cover three to enjoy the instant reaction live. Um, I think unless, unless producer Matt Coco wants to jump in, are you guys okay just pushing like Oklahoma's uh, win against West Virginia to the back burner for a little bit? 16 no. to 13. No, I, mean, I demand just... we spend the next hour talking Look, about that and that only. The Tom dogs... was in the crowd chanting for Caleb Williams. So <laughs> I, True. I, I mean, I, do you, real quick, do you want to just give me, give me a hot 30 on, on the Oklahoma quarterback situation and where Tom Fernelli stands? I just want to say that I – when I started like the Caleb William things in the off season, it was kind of tongue in cheek in that I hadn't really seen Caleb Williams play. So I couldn't know too much. It was just more a statement on what I thought of Spencer Rattler from what I saw of him last year and the hype surrounding him and like the Heisman favor. It was just like, I thought I was watching a different QB that said, while I might be seen as the leader of the Caleb Williams movement, I do not approve of chanting for the backup quarterback in your own stadium while your own team is on the field. That is lame as hell. Bad look. Yeah. Right? But you you are boycotting all products that Spencer Rattler endorses, right? Correct, because he's like, what? He's got that vegan thing? Yeah. <laughs> is that a yeah, starting point for I mean, Tom Fernelli being on, like... I'm just saying, like, I've got, I've got nothing against vegans. Like, if that's your thing and that's how you want to live and that's that's what you do, cool. I mean, I, I, I understand why why you do that and what your thought process is behind it, but I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know how many Hall of Fame quarterbacks there are who were vegans. Um, so I think that the, the game that probably... Uh, resonated the most was that game in Jerry World. Uh, Arkansas's win against Texas A&M comes with so many headlines. K.J. Jefferson gets knocked out of the game. A couple of explosive plays early really give the Razorbacks the edge. 
the Aggies offense just could not get anything going here. I, I would like to know, can you look at this game and can you look at this result and, and analyze it moving forward without thinking about Alabama? Because one of my real struggles is to look at this and think about like, man, like I tell you what, Barry Odom's got this Arkansas defense cooking. You know, like this is yet another quarterback, albeit a young quarterback. They confused Hudson Card. They have now confused uh, a- another uh, younger quarterback in Zach Calzada. But I also think that you've got to look at just some uh, general performance where if you continue to exceed expectations time and time again, even going through the loss of a starting quarterback in KJ Jefferson. I mean, what, what are the storylines? What stands out to y'all about Arkansas's win against Texas A&M? Well, um, Texas A&M, do they have any passes of 20 yards to like an actual receiver? No, they're I, real I, routes. I, I I have not looked this up, and I do not have the official statistics, but uh, unofficially, they are just all wheel routes. Yeah, the only pass they had of greater than 20 yards today was to Aeneas Smith. Like, they had Who's, an 18, a 19, a 15, and a 23. Those were their quote-unquote big plays in the past. He's game. technically a receiver, I guess, even though they, they used him as a back last year. Like, like they just don't hit any explosive plays in the pass game. We talked about this all offseason. How can Texas A&M take the next step? Well, they will need to find a way to actually hit an explosive player two at all, right? That's that's what we need to do. Now, what happened? 2018, like 99th in passing explosiveness. 2020, you know, terrible again. 2019 as well, just outside the top 100. This year, kind of right back there, right? Uh, so, yeah. They're just not explosive through the air. Arkansas's defense is a good defense. I don't think it's like a crazy defense, but it's pretty good. And mm-hmm. AM just doesn't hit anything explosive. They're not good enough doing what they do trying to run the football. They don't have Haynes King in there. Um, credit goes to Arkansas for, for playing their game and winning, even when their quarterback went out. Like, I mean, we've talked about it in the past. Jimbo's f- offense is kind of intricate. He's, I mean, he's doing himself a disservice with that, I think, overall, but I think especially with a backup yeah. QB. like I, I feel like there's at some point you have to get over yourself in a way and just simplify things a little bit, just make it a little easier. And I think that that was very evident watching Zach Calzada play today because I just I felt like kind of like we talked about with DJU last week, Chip, I, I just there's not much confidence in that kid when I watched him play today. It's just, he seemed unsure of himself. He seemed hesitant to make decisions. And I think that really costs the Aggies offense. So yeah. And I think on the other side, I mean, that was just, that was an Arkansas game. Like KJ Jefferson, when they were in the, when he was playing and he was healthy, the offense, it wasn't spectacular, but it looked good enough. They were running the ball. I feel like the, the one, maybe most encouraging thing about this game for me, as far as Arkansas, besides the fact that they won the game, but like, they didn't they weren't great running the ball today compared to how they have been all season and they were still able to beat Texas A&M and hold you know by by two scores so i feel like if i'm the hogs i'm pretty optimistic about that going forward and i think that i'm clearly the second best team in the SEC West clearly with clearly. Ole Miss with Ole Miss sidelines small sample size Ole Miss Rebels which will get their day in the spotlight in the SEC on CBS game of the week i come out of this with uh, a lot of respect and continued appreciation for what Arkansas does defensively because 
it's a great college football defense. They all flow to the ball. They all are very well coached and they all seem to work together as a unit in a way that has me wondering. And one of the conversations that we had going into I, unplanned, but going into the hit and record and going live with you here on youtube.com slash cover three. And for all of the subscribers and listeners of the cover three podcast, like, is this, is this defensive, um, it's not a defensive uh, renaissance, but it is certainly uh, a little bit of an adjustment where we are looking at the year and we're saying, like, where are the good offenses? And I wonder if in the 2020 season, with all the restrictions and with the way this season was staggered, was it offense advantage because of 2020? And now we're starting to see just some good, well-coached defenses be able to play above what would be talent level. Because if we're going exclusively on talent level, there's a reason why Texas A&M was a favorite here. Like if we're going exclusively on like your talent ratings, Arkansas should probably not have these wins against Texas and Texas A&M. But they've got these, they've got a great scheme and they've got one that works for their personnel. But I think that we're seeing in a lot of different places that, um, you know, this idea that the elite offenses are there, either the quarterbacks are way short of anything that we were expecting, but maybe it's also just the, the ebbs and flows of college football as a sport. Is that, is that outlandish to throw that out there as a possibility? I mean, is it outlandish to think defenses are performing better because they're allowed to be near each other during the week? They're allowed to practice and oh, have contact. The yeah. cohesion. Yeah. Like even let's yeah, yeah. Let's like let's spending time together. You're allowed yeah. to spend time together. And I think that that's important for defenses. Here in the ninth minute, I'll use my soccer uh minutes here. I, I'm gonna say that we we started to tap into the, one of the like deepest existential questions of the 2021 season. Does being in contact with other human beings more often lead to better teamwork? Yes. I'm gonna say yes as my uh, a, as my layman's observation. Defense is a tactile. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, bud. What do, what what do you make? I mean, is this are you seeing that in the numbers as well, or just the the give and take of of what we're seeing with uh, the offense and defense? You know, I, I think we just lost some really special quarterbacks at the top of the sport, and then some guys who were, you know, even if it took us a while to realize they were special during the year. I mean, like who who are your best quarterbacks in the sport right now. Last year was easy, right? It's it, it's it's Trevor, it's Justin. After a while, you realize Mac Jones was one of them. He, you know, he had a great team to throw to, but he was also playing at a very high level. Like the, it was pretty easy to rattle them off. Now, like like who are the best quarterbacks in college football? Part of it, I think, comes back to that 2019 class that I've said really like was lacking. You could stand on the field and see it, but like who do you like now? No, but he's like a no doubt throw, first round type guy playing. Well, I can also throw out uh, a list of quarterbacks who we once said were going to be great. Like the the existing group of quarterbacks are all ones that have been around. It's it's Tanner Morgan who almost lost to Bowling Green. You know, it's almost it's, almost did lose to Bowling lost, Green. Did lose. Definitely lost to Bowling Green. <laughs> yeah. Cash it. That's Bowling. It's Tanner Morgan. Uh, it's you know your um, Keaton Slovis. It is your. Uh, Michael Penix, like it is these quarterbacks that it's Brock Purdy at Iowa State who lost at Baylor. It, it's a list of quarterbacks who are still in college football and they just have not been replaced by their backups or that is the best that that particular program has to offer because of what they've invested in what they thought was going to be a first round NFL draft talent. I, 
we talked about this earlier. Uh, Adi Joseph, one of our editors at CBSSports.com, put a tweet in the Slack today that was from Robert Griffin III, and he was he tweeted his Heisman ballot right now. And at number four, he had Talia Tagovailoa. And my initial reaction was, I don't hate that. I think that's defensive. It's defensible. And the fact that Talia Tagovailoa might be a top five quarterback in the country right now, or at least you could make a actual argument that's not ludicrous says a whole hell of a lot about the state of quarterback play in the country this year. Without a doubt. Um, Okay. So as, as we start to look at Arkansas, are you willing to take Arkansas a team that now has to play Georgia and Auburn here in the next couple weeks over under one and a half wins in that stretch? Mm Mm-hmm. Is Jefferson going to play? Because I, I yeah. somebody asked me this on Twitter earlier. Like, what are you going to make that number next week with Arkansas going to Georgia? And I was like, if Jefferson doesn't play, it's going to be twenty. But if he does think... play, I'd like. Where is that Auburn game? At? Is that in Arkansas or is it in Auburn? The uh, the Georgia game is in Fayetteville. I believe the Auburn game is on the road. I can pull that up real quickly and uh, waste time because I'm always talking too much on this podcast. Um, the Georgia game is in Athens <laughs> for sure. And the Auburn game it's is flipped. in Fayetteville. Yeah, of course. So, I um, mean, I'm going to go under one and a half. I mean, I think the question is just simply instead of one and a half, it's like, can they beat Georgia? Because I think we both or all three of us are going to have them beating Auburn at this point. But. I mean, that's that's going to be hard to go into Athens and beat Georgia. But then again, like I've picked against Arkansas twice now this year. I picked against them against Texas, and I picked against them against Texas A&M, and they won both of those games. So maybe I'll pick against them here just to you know inspire them to another win. So before we get to Notre Dame, um, let's go ahead and hit Georgia real quick because uh, I believe – that Todd Munkin and JT Daniels and Kirby Smart had like a, a a printout of my dumb Muppet face in the office, and they just decided that they were going to pin explosive plays to darts and just throw them right at my dumb Muppet face <laughs> and be like, "Hey, hey, you you and your your boy Barton, huh? Yeah, yeah. Like I want to apologize to Barton because I think that some of what Georgia." did to Vanderbilt today was just trying to prove me wrong about how this really was the new explosive Georgia offense. So congratulations, Todd Munkin and JT Daniels and Kirby Smart and all the Georgia fans that are uh, so committed to making sure that we know that the Bulldogs are in the new era. They, uh, they, they put it on the Commodores early. And uh, that's congratulations. They had seven passing plays of 20 yards or more. And I think seven or six of them came in the first 10 minutes. That was, yeah, that was a, it was intentional. They were like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to come. We're going to jack you up right away. We're going to show you all this stuff. That's not us. And then we're just going to pack it in. Yeah. That was a statement game. Like Georgia understands. Nobody's going to give it credit for beating Vandy. So what do you do? you come out and beat them 62 to nothing because nobody's going to give you credit for anyway. But if you beat team 62 to nothing and you hold them to 72 total yards, everybody's got to be like, well, 
all right, cool. In a year where there aren't really don't seem to be elite teams, that seems like an elite performance. So I feel like with Georgia, it's not a resume win, but it is one of those performances. It's like, well, we're looking for a team that we could say, that's an elite team. That's a team I think can win the national title. We're seeing that every week those teams keep falling. Georgia, I think right now is, I mean, from start to finish, I has there been a more impressive team? Well, depending on what you think of Clemson, you know, Bama might have a better win uh, because Georgia didn't score a touchdown in that game on offense. But mm-hmm. like, but start and finish, week just like week, quality of play, like in terms of competition, I hadn't considered that. Georgia's looked really, really good. Um, yeah. you know, as somebody with a 10-to-1 Georgia ticket for the Natty, I was extremely happy with what happened to Clemson today because like, I, I think that really opens the door for Georgia to get in, even as a non-champ. And yes, like I think it drastically increases the odds, right? That that they're able to do so. Georgia's front seven is just different, man. Like yes. they, they it really is. It's um, an NFL team in the front seven. Yeah, and it'll, it is allowing Georgia to bring its offense along at at its own pace and sort of develop it and figure out what it can be. You know, Vanderbilt Barton's got a big rebuild there. Obviously, like they they can't run. They 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 lack team speed basically all over the field. And so you're like, oh, that Vandy guy's got an angle on him. No, he doesn't. Oh, shoot. Like <laughs> the, the Georgia guy's going going for a long play. But Georgia's got some guys you can really run on that offense. I don't think JT Daniels is like an amazing quarterback, but we just got done talking about how there might not be any amazing quarterbacks this year. And if the rest of the quarterback pack wants to come back to Georgia, guys, that plays right into Kirby Smart's hands, right? Mm-hmm. Um. Notre Dame's speaking of statement win. Notre Dame pulls away late against Wisconsin. Tom, you were live blogging this game for CBS Sports. I'll just go ahead and turn it over to you. To me, the final score seems deceiving. Yes. What did you? Okay, good. All right. Go ahead and run with this one. What were some of your strong takeaways? I mean, my biggest takeaway is that Wisconsin's just not a very good team. I think that Wisconsin defensively is very good. I think they're, you know, they're, they're what you kind of expect. Like they had six sacks today. They had 12 tackles for loss and they lost by 28 points. And I think that Graham Mertz at this point, honestly, I wrote about it in, in my takeaways after the game. Like if you're Wisconsin, why aren't you making a change? Like I understand that Graham Mertz was a highly rated recruit. He took the job from Jack Cohen last year when Jack Cohen got hurt, he came out, he was great, but, He's been terrible since that first game against Illinois. He's got now, what, three touchdown passes to 11 interceptions. He threw four interceptions today, two pick sixes. And, yeah, the second pick six, probably not his fault, but that doesn't change the fact that he threw three interceptions and another pick six before that. So I I don't know if you're Paul Christ or if you're, if you're that Wisconsin defense, like if you're going into practice next week and Graham Mertz is still your QB, like there's going to be a mutiny in that locker room pretty soon. I just, I, I don't know if how you, if you're that defense, you could sit there and watch that and not get frustrated. And as far as Notre Dame is concerned, I mean, Jack Cohn got hurt. He wasn't playing that great beforehand. You're missing Tyler Buckner. Who's dealing with a hamstring injury. So in comes Drew Pine, who's technically your third string QB. And he actually played pretty well. Like I thought when he came in, cause it was a tight game. Wisconsin's defense, like I said, was playing really well. I thought Brian Kelly was going to turtle up and get ultra conservative with him. No, he came out, you know, I think two of his first three plays, he was throwing down the field. They were trying to test that Wisconsin defense while they could try to catch him off guard. And it was effective. And he was effective. He was six for eight, 81 yards of a touchdown. But I still think that Notre Dame offensively, it cannot run the ball. 
it it didn't run the ball against Florida State. It didn't run the ball well against Toledo. It didn't run the ball well against Purdue. And it didn't run the ball at all today against Wisconsin. And I think that's a problem. But we're also seeing that the way this season is going, that like they're four and zero. So the way other teams are playing, I don't care if it's pretty or ugly. You're four and zero right now. You're four and zero. That's all that really matters because we've seen Clemson's two and two, North Carolina's two and two. All these other top teams are losing. So I don't care if it's pretty right now. I think the only thing that matters is the win loss record. So this is a Notre Dame team that I think right now we have to consider it a playoff contender because I think we have to reevaluate what a playoff contender is this season. There's no doubt they're a playoff contender, Tom. I, I so on both these teams, I Wisconsin does not have an offensive line that is just mashing people anymore. Yeah, it's just I don't think they're I don't think they're what they were. Like this Notre Dame defensive line was missing its starting nose guard. It's a good defensive line. It's not a Georgia defensive line or or you know a, a classic Ohio State type defensive line, uh, or even like one of the best Notre Dame defensive lines we've seen. And Wisconsin could not really push them around. They I don't think teams fear their run game quite as much anymore. I think that hurts their play action game. I agree with you on what you said about Mertz. Obviously, like he's not played very well, but I also don't know like who 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 do like their skill guys do you like? Ches Malusi, who was like third string at Clemson. No. I, I don't I know. Think, they don't scare me. But I think that was part of it too. Like I, I feel like part of the problem Wisconsin's offensive line deals with is other teams have absolutely no respect for any of Wisconsin's receivers or its skill position players. So like I, I felt like what I saw today, and it was hard because God, I hate the camera angle at Soldier Field, but I felt like what I saw, Wisconsin was just throwing, or sorry, Notre Dame was just throwing eight dudes in the box. They were putting Kyle Hamilton on Jake Ferguson, and they were saying, all right, do something about it. And Wisconsin doesn't have anybody who could do anything about it. Like the few times Wisconsin receivers did get open, Graham Mertz was missing them by 10 yards. All right, now let's not let Notre Dame's offense off the hook here. 3.5 yards of play. And yeah. On a per-play basis, Wisconsin outgained them by a lot. Like four, six, 3.5 gets you beat against almost anybody with a pulse of an offense. So the upcoming schedule for Notre Dame is, is, is pretty damn difficult. If they run this, I'll be impressed. Cincinnati at the Hokies, home against SC, home against North Carolina. Now, all those teams have warts, but if, if you throw up 3.5 yards of play in any of those games, you're probably losing. So I think Notre Dame is one of those dorky teams that is really good at special teams. And they're one of those dorky teams that find ways to beat the numbers. And like they're, they're one of those dorky teams that might win all of those games, even averaging 3.5 yards per play on offense because they just find the hidden yards out there. It's just oh, Kyle Hamilton. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. turns it over five times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, I, I just, I, that's how I'm like rating, judging, thinking about Notre Dame. It's like, yeah. You're right. That's 3.5 yards place. Not what you want to see, but did you see the stat that Coca dropped in to the private chat about Graham Mertz's start and finish? Whew. First yeah. two starts, seven, seven, zero touchdown pick ratio since then three to 11. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think he's thrown more pick sixes than he has touchdowns or at least the same number in those last eight starts. Is this, is this comment from Mike kind of, kind of spot on? Notre Dame is old school Virginia Tech. Like they're gonna, Beamer they're Ball, Virginia Tech. I don't know. I uh, I don't think it's a terrible comp, but I don't think it's a totally accurate comp. Notre Dame's Notre Dame's more physical running the ball though. They yeah. just couldn't throw. Yeah, like this Notre Dame team Notre Dame can't run the ball. The no, but I do think there's hope. Like like they can't. They're not going to give these games back. They get to keep mm-hmm. these wins. 
And if Notre Dame gets healthy on the offensive line, I think it's possible they actually could be pretty damn good down the stretch. Okay. They, they're missing some key guys right now. Before we do, um, before we hit the break, I want to make sure that we go ahead and get Clemson out here. Where, like, it, do you are you checking out? Do you care where Clemson's at right now? Because the last time that NC State beat Clemson was 2011, Clemson still won the ACC. Clem, Clemson could still win the ACC. It could the way the ACC is playing. Yeah, like, you, like this. I'm I'm not ready to prepare for a total free fall, and I'm very ready for Dabo to talk about his three loss Clemson Tigers as a, you know, like this was a really special squad. Like whatever his speech is or whatever the spin is, Clemson can still be the ACC champions for a seventh year in a row and continue to to build on its own league wide um, reputation. But I mean, the team's out of the playoffs like that. That seems simple enough, but are you? Do you have any like larger concerns? Hey, I guess I guess that's what. Do you do you care? Do you care where Clemson's at or why they're struggling right now? I do, but my bigger concern right now is as we await the injury news on Brian Brzee and Will Shipley because neither of those injuries look good. I look. I I don't really have a whole lot of doubts about what Clemson is doing overall, um, but I, I I have admired just how efficient Clemson has been as far as its evaluation of players, as far as how strict it is character-wise, who they take, who they don't take. They don't take transfers. They don't take Ju- Juco guys. And that helps with their culture, they believe. But it also increases the degree of difficulty. If you miss on a guy or two, that miss is amplified because Clemson doesn't go out and get a transfer to help fix it, right? Like, I guarantee you there's there's transfers out there who probably want to go to Clemson. And Maybe this is the type of season that will make Davos when he say, "Ah, I got to reevaluate a little bit, and I may need to take a take a body here on the offensive line. I, I, I may need to take somebody else at linebacker so we have better depth there. I may need to take uh, somebody who is a slot receiver and not like some giant. Uh, who knows? But I, I'm just interested to see how their process looks going forward. What, what does Dabo change, if anything, uh, from this season? What do you think, Tom? Can we talk about NC State running 96 plays in this game? Compared to 49 for Clemson. Yeah, the D- NC State defense was tremendous. Um, and Clemson did not – like the reason why NC State was able to score against Clemson's defense, which even after the loss of James Skalski in the first half and the loss of Brian Brzee in the third quarter was because of field position. Like NC State limited Clemson to, you know, like three plays, five yards – five plays, 19 yards, you know, only one or two first downs in a single drive. And if you give Devin Leary the ball at the 50-yard line, at the plus 45, at the minus 45, then eventually, like, they are going to be able to get into a position where they're going to score. I I just thought that uh, every single time that NC State's defense was thrown back onto the field, uh, they answered in a huge way, which – with one read is a incredible indictment of uh, where Clemson is at offensively, especially with a, an offensive line where they're only leaning on like their five starters and not much rotational players where they've got wide receivers who other than Justin Ross can't seem to get separation or get catches. But also you've got an NC State defense that's down. It's, you know, Peyton Wilson for now a couple weeks now, but still shows up with the, some big time stops. I, that that play discrepancy 
to me, is a NC State defense compliment. Circle the date, November 13th, NC State at Wake Forest for the Atlantic. That is terrifying for an NC State fan because <laughs> Wake Forest has won 10 out of the last 12 games in Winston-Salem against NC State. Like, I mean, I don't think it's going to happen, but there's not an unrealistic chance that Clemson finishes fourth in the division. Fourth. Louisville? Wake, Wake, NC State, or Louisville, BC. I mean, it's I don't, again. I don't think it's going to happen, but it's not a completely unreal scenario given how Clemson has looked and given looking at the current injury situation and what might be coming in the next few days. I don't think that Boston College, Boston College's win. All right, you want to just go ahead and, and throw that one in here as well? Sure. Where yeah. A fifty-six yard field goal from Missouri as time expired to force overtime, only to get a Boston College at interception. In overtime, Dennis Grossel, a quarterback who we were all ready to bail on, leading this team, Connor Bazelak, maybe getting exposed a little bit. Another name of a quarterback who we thought was awesome in 2020 that maybe we're starting to you know, reel that line back in a little bit. I just, it was so funny because you, you had uh, in one of the halftime shows, they said, a little bit of bragging rights for the ACC over the SEC. Boston College gets a win over Missouri, and it's like, yeah, but ACC doesn't really want to talk about like conference versus conference. Is right that a post game show or Danny's Twitter account? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, did Boston College impress you beating Missouri? Yeah, yeah, they 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 ran the ball extremely well. I I mean, I'm I'm higher on BC's run game now than I was. I'm a little bit down on Missouri's run defense after seeing what South Carolina did to Kentucky tonight and looking at kind of that transitive game where, you know, Kentucky ran all over, all over Missouri. They were not able to run all over South Carolina tonight. So it does make me think, okay, uh, I was too high on Missouri's run defense, which is to say like, I thought it was bad, but not terrible. And it might just be straight terrible. So I got that wrong. Um, BC though, found a way to win the game. Like they got outgained on a per play basis, but they they converted more, uh, you know, other third downs. Eleven to seventeen, BC, Missouri struggled to get off the field. Um, I thought Basilak was mostly fine. I think, I think BC had what one tackle for loss in the game. Like, uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely losses coming for BC. Like they're not going to, but they deserved to win the game just as much as as, as Missouri did. I, th- I thought the overtime was kind of the kind of the just result, but. I thought I thought Missouri was going to go in there and really put a number on them, and they only got thirty four. Yeah, I, you know, I thought they could score a lot more than that. It's it's hard for me not to be impressed, but it's also because probably my expectations for after Djurkovic went down, I was like, oh god, they're doomed. But the fact that they've kept winning without him, Grissel, this is I know again, Mizzou isn't the top team in the SEC, but I still think beating an SEC team is a good thing for Boston College. I think it's a good team for anything for any team outside the power you know sec and a power five conference who isn't considered a power to beat any sec team so i think it's a big win i think that they've played well i think that they're again like i'm talking about with notre dame like you're four and oh right now you're four and oh that's all that really matters to me like you're good because a lot of teams aren't jeff halfley coach of the year he's gonna be in the conversation if they keep this up right? Coach of september like oh. i mean Oh, that'd be some really good podcast content. Wednesday, if we don't have any good ideas, we'll do uh, September. That'd be Greg Schiano. September Hell superlatives. Yeah. 
That's a, Do you that's, know Babers? Listen, we don't drop tonight. Drop it. Drop yeah, it. We've, drop we've, it. We've, got, we've got the drop coming. We're going to make right, you okay. wait right. for the Dina drop. Don't you worry about that. Um, Rutgers did give Michigan all it could handle. Michigan just – did they – show? I did not get a ton of eyes on this game uh, because – NC State Clemson went sideways, ended up having to to write off that and and handle that for both CBSSports.com and CBS Sports HQ. So you all let me know. Michigan Rutgers, was that Michigan shutting it down or was that Rutgers shutting Michigan down? It I, I wouldn't go with as far as saying shutting Michigan down. I just think that what Rutgers is doing, like it's it's definitely defying the numbers. But I, I think that they this was probably Rutgers' best game of the season so far, Easily. statistically, like the way they perform. But it's just, I think Rutgers is really good at making it hard. Like, it's there's no easy yardage to gain against them. It's every play feels like you're in kind of a fight. And I think that's the identity of what that program is right now. And I think that Michigan's talent is winning out in the end in this game, but not by much. And I just think that, like, I mean, they held like Michigan had averaged five yards per play, but nothing was coming easy. Like the, the run game that has been dominant for them all season long was stifled. They only averaged 2.9 yards per carry. And it's not like due to sack yardage. Blake Corum averaged only 3.2 per carry. Son Haskins was 3.4. Like, again, Rutgers just makes it really hard on you. It's the problem is they're just not good enough offensively to really take advantage of that at the kind of level that they need to. But they're a team that I don't. I think if they were in the West, honestly, they might be the second best team in the West. So, Tom, check out – you mentioned the five yards of play. First half, 7.1 per play mm-hmm. to 3.8 for Rutgers. Like, look, Michigan dominated this first half. It looked like they were well on their way to a pretty easy cover. Rutgers' offense looks exactly like it had all season. Uh, and in the second half, to me, when I was watching this, it was like – Michigan did not have the same intensity level coming out for the second half, but Rutgers did. Rutgers continued to play extremely hard. They they were still physical. Michigan could never really throw the knockout punch through the air, which is this the first decent pass defense? Well, no, I, I Washington's pretty damn good. Yeah. But like they were really you know, hitting the knockout punch through the ground there more uh, against the Huskies and the Huskies also didn't have, much of an offense, kind of like you know, kind of like Rutgers, but Rutgers, to their credit, also stuck with the run game in the second half. It's not like not like Noah was was throwing the ball very well. I mean, he was eighteen of thirty one for one hundred fifty six, which is you know not good. Rutgers ended up running the ball for almost two hundred yards. They just kept kind of chopping wood to to use Shiano's term and pounding the rock. Like, was it going to get them the, the, the W? Probably not, but that's kind of what they were able to do, and it, it kept the game close. I, I think they deserve credit for that. I'm going to be out here watching freaking Rutgers games all season long because of this. That game made me much less likely to bet against Rutgers. If they had pulled another one of these like turnover fests. Uh, you, know, you said smoke and mirrors. Pocus, the quote they was. They were smoke and mirrors. Okay. Yeah. Like the defense was good. The punting was good. The offense was total trash. This is the best game their offense has played mm-hmm. by far. Point wise, it's not going to show it, but like by far. I, I just I feel like this is one of those years because things are so strange, but just like playing hard is going a lot further this year than it has in years past. And I think that's Rutgers' number one asset right now. I agree. 
Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Sorry. Tom, we are one touchdown away from our over with Cal Washington. Did we lose Chip? Uh, I think we lost Chip. All right. That's fine. Neither of us are, are fashionable enough to, uh, to pull this off. <laughs> I know. I, f- I feel underdressed for the live show because Chip's wearing a blazer. I'm wearing a fishing shirt. So, all right. Let's. <laughs> where, where, where do you want to take this? Uh, well, let's see. Do we, do we even want to spend any time talking about Alabama and Ohio State? Uh, no. Okay, good. Uh, let's see. Oklahoma. Oh, we talked about Oklahoma a little bit. See, this is why we need Chip, but Do we want to talk about Iowa State and Baylor? Oh, yeah. We should probably definitely talk about Iowa State and Baylor because this way we can gloat a little bit about Iowa State losing. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't cash that ticket yet on the Iowa uh, State under because it was nine and a half, but uh, I'm feeling pretty good about that one. How much this game did you get to watch? I only saw I, I saw a lot of the second half. I didn't see barely anything in the first half, but when I saw what the score was and I saw, I was like, oh, wow, Baylor might actually pull this off. I started paying a lot more attention to it in the second half, and it's like, I don't, from what I saw, I was like, man, Baylor didn't play very well, but it won the game. Like, this is like, yeah, I'm looking at the box score now. In the second half, Iowa State had 282 yards. Baylor had 70. And this is like a theme for the day because this was like the Mm -hmm. same thing with the Michigan State-Nebraska game. We just talked about it with Michigan-Rutgers. It's like the new market inefficiency is coming out in the second half and playing like ass and winning. Uh, So Baylor outgained by 200 yards in this game, 479 to 282. Yeah, they have a kick return touchdown, which which helps to – anytime I see a huge yardage disparity like that, I'm like, okay, well, maybe one team was just much more efficient on a per-play basis. Uh, maybe – like, nope, not really. Uh, Iowa State, 6.6 per play. Baylor, 5.4 per, or per play. Uh, Iowa State, not able to get it done in the green zone, in the red zone, like Baylor was. Like, Baylor finished drives better. Um I mean, well, the craziest game with 282 yards of offense. Yeah. And like the craziest thing of this is like our biggest complaint or concern, I should say, about Iowa State has been like a lack of explosion, particularly in the passing game. They had explosive plays all over the place in this game. They had 10 plays for over 15 yards in the passing game. They had 
uh, six of over 10 yards in the rushing game. They, this is, they had a 30-yard run, a 42-yard run, a 34-yard run. They had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven passing plays of 20 yards or more. Like, Iowa State finally busted out explosive plays on offense, and it lost by two to Baylor. Field goal, field goal, field goal, field goal. Mm-hmm. Kicking that many field goals will get you beat. Oftentimes, I mean, if, if you're playing a decent team, field goals in the high high scoring environment are typically failures. Obviously, this game, you know, much higher scoring than, than Vegas thought it would be. Uh, but yeah, man, congrats to Baylor. Like, do, let me ask you this: Are you changing your power ratings on either of these teams after this game, based on how it played out? <laughs> no. Yeah, I don't exactly. think so. But I mean, let's while we're in the Big 12, though, like because Texas just wow against Texas Tech today. Like, you don't you don't typically see 70 burgers in conference play. But like, where are you evaluating the Big 12 right now? Because obviously Oklahoma kind of had the another close home win against West Virginia. They beat them by three, but they're four. zero. Baylor's four. zero. Oak State's four. zero. All of them are undefeated in the Big 12. Texas has the loss to Arkansas, but it's three and one, and it's one and zero in the Big 12. Like, who's the second best team in this conference right now? Hell, who's the best team? Because are you all that? Are you 100 percent convinced Oklahoma is the best team in the Big 12? No, I'm really not convinced Oklahoma is the, the best team in the Big 12. I think it probably is, but like, would you take Oklahoma over the field right now? For maybe, I mean, probably it's... like the odds say yes, but you know, I wrote in my, my column last week. I bet Oklahoma minus 165 for the league to start the year. Now, the, the market price currently is like minus two, two and a quarter, which suggests that they're better against the, against the rest of the league, as you know, than uh, than they were in the preseason. But, man, after watching them tonight, I, like, I don't know if I really buy that. They, they're not, first of all, Rattler. Second mm-hmm. of all, they're not real physical up front right now. Like, they don't really move people in the run game. And I think because people are less concerned about their ability to run the ball, uh, they do not have to worry about some of the play action stuff quite as much. They can play some of the RPO stuff a little bit differently, and it does make them less effective. Uh, they, I know they were making all kinds of excuses for Rattler on the broadcast. And some of those I thought were maybe unjustified, but some of them I think were, right? Like that Oklahoma offensive line is not the typical Bill Biedenbaugh unit that we have seen in recent years. Yeah, I, I, there's just a lot. Like Marvin Mims is getting over 20 yards per catch, I still think, on the season, but like that's really their only – explosive aspect of their offense. And it really just hasn't been there very much. I feel like teams are just kind of dropping eight against them and Oklahoma hasn't really done much against it, but maybe this is bad timing to ask the question, seeing as how Texas just scored 70 points today, but does Oklahoma even have the best offense in the big 12 anymore? Not, not so far this year. I mean, you, you can argue Texas, although look, Texas got totally shut down against Arkansas mm-hmm. and I'm sure you'd counter that and say, well, Hey, that was Hudson card. And now we have Casey Thompson. And Thompson played well today. Uh, Texas Tech's defense might be pretty bad, by the way. Yeah, I, I think that, that's definitely playing a role here. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. But Casey exciting. Thompson was eighteen to three, three hundred three yards, five touchdowns. He did have an interception. Bijan Robinson rushed for one hundred and thirty-seven. He also had fifty-four yards receiving, and I think it was a thirty-eight yard touchdown on one of them. So I don't know, man. Like that, the way when I was watching Texas today, my biggest takeaway was if they play like that. They'll beat Oklahoma. They'll they could win the Big Twelve, and I just I feel like after the way they looked in that Arkansas game, that is not something I thought I would be thinking again this time of the season. But thankfully, I'm at least smart enough not to go the Texas's back route. I mean that that league right now is is so kind of topsy turvy 
TCU lost at home to SMU. I think TCU, by the way, has an explosive plays uh, problem on defense. Mm-hmm. Like they came back to beat Cal, they out physical Cal. Zach Evans went nuts, uh, but TCU, TCU just gives up home run balls to SMU to start the game again. Like what? How does this happen every game for TCU? Just oh, whoop, oh, there's an AD Arter again. It, it's that's pretty wild. Um, Here, I got a question for you. This is one I got hit with a bunch of times today, <laughs> and it kind of melted my brain. Who's the best quarterback in the Big Ten West? Ooh, okay. <laughs> exactly. All right. I mean, we've got we've got Spencer Petrus. We've got whoever Purdue's sending out there at any given time. We've got you are Brand not going to get me to say Tanner Martinez. <laughs> you've got Adrian Martinez, Tanner Morgan, Hunter Johnson, and Graham Mertz. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's like Spencer Petrus or Adrian Martinez are probably the two best answers. Okay, so we had the discussion, and maybe nationally, the top quarterbacks are not as good this year. This Big Ten West is, is unique. Like, there's usually some guy that, that even the NFL guys are like, well, you know, he's not super productive mm-hmm. in college, but we like some of these traits like and the tools. Yeah, they run an unnecessarily tough offense for college, and but it translates well to the NFL. Blah blah blah. I don't know. If we have this guy this year. Right? Is it? It's is it Tanner Morgan? And what happened there? So I I did not get to watch any of Bowling Green. Go over my wind total. None. <laughs> I saw like the last five minutes because it was like it was when Minnesota had the ball late and they were they were trailing. And that that's when I finally got to it. Cause I kept telling myself, like I was seeing all the tweets about it. I'm like, there's there's no way in hell Minnesota is gonna lose that game. And it's like, oh my God, Minnesota might actually lose. But no, Tanner Morgan, all right. Final stat line five for thirteen for fifty-nine yards, no touchdowns. Two interceptions, although he did rush for 10 yards on 10 carries. If this was a road game, would Minnesota have left Mike Sanford on the tarmac as they fly home? I mean, I, I, it's, if you look at the timeline, I, I I know that correlation isn't necessarily causation. Oh, but. Mm. Like Mike Sant, like that offense was great. Kirk Shiraka was there, and obviously they still had Rashad Bateman at the time. They had they had uh, Tyler Johnson. They had a bunch of good receivers. But that offense was really good under Shiraka. Good enough that Shiraka gets hired to go to Penn State, takes the offense coordinator job there. Mike Sanford comes in. Tyler Johnson's gone, but they still got Rashad Bateman. And last year, the offensive line they were dealing with a bunch of COVID issues. But like Tanner Morgan fell off the face of the earth. The offense as a whole fell off the face of the earth. And now this year, like, I understand losing Mo Ibrahim is a big deal, but Potts, his replacement, rushed for 141 yards today. So it's like, I don't think that's that big of a deal. It's just the passing game is gone because Bowling Green went on the road and beat a Big Ten team with 192 yards of offense while averaging 3.1 yards per play. That's, I mean, Bowling Green is, is, I've said they're improved on this very show. I kind of like this team better than I did last year, obviously, but they're still a bottom 20 team in the country, yes. probably. And that's remarkable. Uh, another team that has not looked good at all so far this year, but ended up pulling out a dub, LSU. They go on, Now, look, depending on when you got this, Mississippi State covered if you bet it on Sunday or Monday. If you waited and you took Mississippi State plus two and a half, you lost. Same thing, I believe, for uh, for the under, with that, with how that dropped. Although that may be a little different on that. 
I watched a good bit of this game, and I got to say, on a down-to-down basis, Mississippi State was much more like consistent. Mm-hmm. But LSU just hit every time they got a couple guys on base, they hit a home run. I mean, it was just the big shots. They so their three scoring, their 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 three touchdowns that you know that really kind of swung the game. Sixty-four yarder, fifty-eight yarder, forty-one yarder, and they only had four explosive pass plays. On the day, Tom, their only other play over 20 yards was a 20-yard pass, literally like 2-0. That's it. So LSU just made the absolute most out of every explosive play that they had. And they didn't have that many of them, but they just, you know, they they made them count. Um, you know, turnovers, Mississippi State had two pretty untimely ones. Mississippi State actually ran the ball for 115 yards, which is kind of crazy. And Will, <laughs> yeah, Will Rogers, ran, hell, the fact they ran the ball 26 times, forget the yardage total. When it comes to a Mike Leach team, I see him running over 20 times. It's like, huh? I mean, just a a lot of kind of wasted drives here for Mississippi State, right? So they go 45 and fumble. They go 38 and uh, and throw a pick. If you remember, what, what did we remember? Matt Hinton, the uh, the, the columnist, yeah, he, he had yeah. like. So he, he had he had a stat. It was called like wasted yards, right? So it's yards on drives in which you don't score, and it always kind of stuck with me. So forty five yards fumble, thirty eight yards pick, eighty yards field goal, sixty yards field goal, thirty two yards into the half. That was Mississippi State's first half. Mississippi State moved the ball up and down the field on LSU all the first half, didn't score. Now the yeah. final three drives for Mississippi State. 75, Tutty, 75, Tutty, 66, touchdown. What was the total in this game? Uh, I got under 58. I think it closed like 55, maybe 53. Look. Oh, that's that was that's got to be painful then, those 375-yard drives to finish it out. Oh, yeah. What's up, guys? Chip, oh, what's going on? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Thanks for coming back there. Hey, oh. can we ask Chip the question? Yeah. Sure. Chip, who is the best quarterback in the Big Ten West? The best quarterback in the Big Ten it, West. It got so. dark with you gone, man. <laughs> it got real dark. I, that's uh, where y'all hit. Do you need well, me? Do you need me to read you your candidates? No. Okay. Because I, I'm going to tell you the the reason, not not the reason, but internet got real spotty as I tried to dig something literally out of the archives. I was blowing the digital dust off something just to try to get it queued up and just to try to get it ready. And everything went haywire because you have to go so far back in the archives to get excited about something that as a, is as electric as... Close your eyes. Boy. Yes. Visualize this. You're in the carrier dome. <laughs> the house is filled. The feeling is electric. electric. The noise is deafening. <laughs> you have a defense... That is relentless. You have a special team that has been well coached. You well have coached. an offense that will not huddle. And you have a game that's faster than you've ever seen on turf. <laughs> Open your eyes. That's going to be a reality. That's going to be Syracuse football. been too long i i was pulling the digital is that really what broke your internet i i hope not i mean i 
or maybe I hope so because now it's done and it won't uh, mess up again. <laughs> but I was I was scrambling, I was pulling wires together trying to get it queued up because uh, because Syracuse's win against Liberty demanded that the Dino drop get played on the reaction show. I mean that was like like that was gut check Friday for Syracuse. They needed that win really badly. You can't be losing at home to Liberty two years in a row. Yeah, you just can't. No, open your eyes. But still, you dodged the question. Who's the best quarterback in the Big Ten West? Spencer Petras. <laughs> you can't tell him he's wrong because it might be right. <laughs> yeah. No, it's Spencer he, Petras. He's betting on potential. I like it. Like, <laughs> no, we no, know no. everybody else is bad. Petras may not be bad. No, no. Petras can get you. <laughs> you need, you need three need yards two. on third and seven. Spencer Petras is your guy. <laughs> I need two plays. Where you need to raise your level to like a plus value quarterback at the power five level. I think Spencer Petrus can give me two. I don't think Graham Mertz can give me two. I don't think Tanner Morgan can give me two. I don't think Brandon Peters can give me two. I don't think Adrian Martinez can give me two. Adrian Martinez might be be able to give me two, but he's also going to give me like three negative plays. Mm -hmm. Did you, you guys know? watch that game tonight? I did. That was. That was probably the worst special teams game that did not involve like a blocked punt or like a bad punt snap that I have ever seen. It is. I think Nebraska's superpower is playing well enough, but always finding at least one thing to really screw up. And tonight, like the wheel landed on special teams, although their special teams have been bad all season long. But like you're saying, yeah, that was just all in all just awful performance like there's got to be somebody trying to figure out what in the world nebraska practiced last year during those illegal practices because it probably wasn't <laughs> like like it definitely wasn't special teams we can check that off the list right guys Let, let's it's not they average 32 yards on a punt it's not Jake one Clumber, punt went nine yards McConnell. the other punt it's a rugby directional kick all the coverage is going to the right. The punter's going to the right. Everything. The guy kicks it 24 <laughs> yards dead left. It was a shank, but it was shanking bounds to the other return man. Like, he didn't have to juke anybody. He just jogged. Mm -hmm. The strength coach is like, bro, you, you didn't hit your you hit your numbers on, 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 the, on the center. It didn't trigger. Go back and run it again. <laughs> like, that, that's. Uh, um, do we. Hey, have, did y'all get a chance to talk about. Uh, our, our man, um, Pope, Kavon Pope, Kavon Pope, getting or quitting the team, and then the team in the middle of the game. No, I mean, is, is that an unfair? Is that an unfair guess? I mean, I will admit right now. I don't know. His tweets certainly suggest he's not planning on coming back. I will admit right now, I have not done some hardcore reporting on it. I've been tied up with other game day uh, activities, but it sure seems based on the tweets. That that's uh, that's the end of Kavon Pope playing for Ohio State right now, and we just saw it happen on the sideline, right? Yeah. Do you think like, that like we could donate a functional keyboard for Kavon Pope because he uh, he uh, misspells uh, luck and also another word that rhymes with luck because he it, yeah he just uses a bunch of C's I, in there. That was my that, editorial you, question you, to are our you editors. Making a joke? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll I'll paste this in. Uh, I'm not, probably not supposed to say the word on, on the uh, on the show. I, I posed the question to our editors. Can I use that word if I spell it this way? <laughs> like, can I get that through copy? Is that okay? Is that fine? Because I'm going to start doing it if I can. 
we didn't talk about Florida and Tennessee yet, so we should probably talk about that. Oh, the best one-liner from this game. Did you watch like late into the fourth quarter? I, I had it on mute. Cam. Yeah. Um, so I, I had a pretty good amount jammed on minus 17 on the look-ahead line, so I was very interested to make sure that Dan Mullen was going to get that cover for the boosters. And since Dan Mullen probably thought that number was 19 because that's where it closed at, he went ahead and did get that. And then Joe Milton had to come into the game, and it's like, yes, right? <laughs> and the announcers are like, now the Tennessee coaching staff really feels he has great potential. Now they can just harness this potential. And then he hits the cameraman <laughs> up against the wall with the pass. Like, oh, my God. Um, I, I watched a pretty good amount of this game. Uh, did you guys get eyeballs on it? Yeah, I had a lot of eyeballs on it, but I was it was it was a muted television, so I had I didn't get the soundtrack to it. Florida had like a couple coverage busts, one tackling issue, and then this thing would have been put away earlier had they not fumbled uh, going down in Tennessee's red zone. Uh, it, they pretty much controlled the game, other than the, the point when you know when Tennessee was up fourteen seven. But after that, it was. Florida kind of got over their hangover. Um, there was a lot of hangover games this weekend, man. And bowling or Minnesota off their huge win at Colorado, <coughs> Auburn uh, seemed to, to take a little while to get in the gear. That was that was tough. I didn't see any of that game. All I saw was the highlight of TJ Finley's like touchdown. That was just stupid. I saw TJ Finley getting the game ball and getting cheered in front of the student section and our good friend Jerry Hinnon saying, yeah, let's give him the game ball and never speak of this game ever again. <laughs> <laughs> if you're an Auburn coach, you just say, hey, let's... Now, did Bo Nix get hurt or was he just replaced because of performance reasons? He got hit. I don't know if he got hurt. Okay. Because um, he got hit low. I'm uh, not going to say he didn't get hurt. I just, I don't know officially like like if he was actually like bad hurt or not oh because i feel like this qb comparison we were talking about all the concerns with like emory jones and then fans wanting anthony richardson in gainesville but i feel like between the the alabama game last week and then the tennessee game tonight i feel like emory jones is kind of settling in florida's kind of figuring out how to use him best and he's playing well he threw for over 200 yards rushed for 144 and then i because again, I didn't see the Auburn game. I just knew that Finley was in, and I was wondering what the next thing was. And I was like, "Are they kind of doing the same kind of thing, but with a different direction?" Where they're like, "All right, maybe Bo Nix isn't our guy." Mm. I thought that uh, I thought UCLA had a good win today. Did y'all get a chance to hit that? Yeah, I was on Stanford plus five, so I was very much interested. I was in a lock fight with both Danny and Bud, which I lost. Oh, I forgot about the lock fight. I just thought that for UCLA, that was a tough spot. Yeah, but DTR was doing like DTR saw all the attention Jake Hayner got last week. <laughs> so he was doing like his hater impression. I don't know what was wrong with his arm or shoulder, but he was clearly in a lot of pain in that game towards the end of it. He was staying in the game and he was still making plays. But I don't know. That's going to be an interesting thing to keep track of this week because he definitely did not look to be anything close to 100%. No, he was holding that hand pretty hard uh, after the game. So, uh, oh, Fresno was a team that had a hangover, big he time. Yeah. LB on Friday. Yeah, that was wild. Lot, uh, lot to, uh, lot to dissect. What? Sorry, bud, didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. Go ahead. Um, and y'all hit North Carolina. No, we no, were waiting we for you to come that. back because we wanted oh, you to okay. talk about it. Um, I didn't get to watch not- any of it. Sam Howell's uh, high variance is the like 
is the drug that North Carolina football fans aren't ready for. North Carolina football fans want to be able to uh, go like, you know, a comfortable eight and four, get me to the college basketball season. Let's get to a bowl game. If it's in a good destination against a good opponent, we'll go. And there's this like wild thing with Howell right now where in the midst of this offense, if it's not there, he just holds on to the ball. You know, it, it is building your entire offense off this RPO. It's building your entire offense off of these reads that if everything's not clicking, it can get really bad, like really fast. And that's exactly what happened against Georgia Tech. And Georgia Tech's defense did a very good job of getting the coverage that they needed at the lines, but also just giving Sam Howell some looks that led to a lot of second guessing, led to a lot of trying to get to your your second or your third read or I don't know. It's just the exact opposite of the narrative. Uh, shocker. Mac Brown sold an out offseason narrative that everybody bought. But the offseason narrative was that, like, listen, Phil Longo and Sam, they've been going to the next level this offseason. They've been studying tape and they're looking at the NFL stuff. Okay. He understands how to read these defenses, he understands how to make the right decisions. And that is, again, the narrative that it was sold all throughout the offseason. And the common thread when North Carolina's offense struggled, which it did not against Virginia, you know, not even in the first half and, and definitely not in the second half. I think that one of the things we're seeing is there they have um they have figured out some sort of blueprint or game plan that a lot of defensive coordinators are putting in place, and they are giving Sam Howell looks that is making him hold on to the ball too long and guess what his reads and what his progressions are. And it makes North Carolina's entire offense kind of crumble at the foundation. That's my read on the situation. It makes a lot of sense to me. Um, we want to give Jeff Collins some, some credit for, for really putting together two nice defensive game plans in a row. Mm -hmm. I know Dabo commented last week about how they, they threw a lot of stuff at Clemson that Clemson wasn't expecting. Um, I mean, they may not have done anything that North Carolina wasn't expecting. Who knows? Like, they may have just executed extremely well uh, with what they wanted to do. Sims and Gibbs, nice running combo. Georgia Tech, they could make a bowl. I don't oh, think yeah. so, but it's possible. Northern Illinois loss basically screwed them. Yeah. Because if you put them against the rest of their ACC schedule, you're going to be like, I don't know, like, there's not a lot of coastal opponents that you're saying are definite losses for Georgia Tech or wins for the opponent. Uh, if we're going to talk about the coastal, do we need to talk a little bit about Thursday night? That was App State Marshall. No, Wake UVA. That was oh, Friday. Or, excuse me, Friday night. Yeah, my bad. Yeah. I mean, Wake's great. Wake didn't punt until like five minutes left in the game. Like that Wake that we saw on Friday night was much better than the Wake I saw play FSU. Like, like I was like, everybody's like, oh, this is the best Wake team ever after they played FSU. Like, I don't know, man. Like, they look good, but they didn't look special. Like, that Wake that we saw on Friday looked amazing. I think they, I think Clawson's got a sober view of it where he says, um, I've got no complaints about the way we're executing. Like, he seems to know. He's like, if we don't execute perfectly, if we don't, shout out to Wake nerds, if I don't have a 1580 on the SAT, yeah, I'm old. But yeah, it's like if I don't have a 1580 or 1590, then things might get a little dicey. But Wake is executing great. 
So did you get a fifteen eighty? No, I didn't. Oh, I, I was like, yeah, Chip, that is really, really good. That's what I remember. I was, like, I'm- I was waitlisted at Wake. Okay, I did not get into Wake Forest. I was waitlisted. I got into North Carolina. I got into Georgia. I was waitlisted at Wake. I don't have a fifteen eighty. Oh, so that's why you hate Florida. <laughs> yeah. I never knew you got into Georgia, but now it all makes sense. Yeah. You hate you hate Florida because you actually are a dog. The Georgia pod um coming what's that coming down the tracks? Something, something, something red and black. Yeah, the Georgia pod uh, gig was something I could fall into. It was a suit that fit for sure. Can we talk old Dominion? You go uh, all you oh my god. This is so annoying. So I bet Buffalo on Sunday on the live show. If you guys want to watch the live show and watch me get incredible values, then just go up in total flames tomorrow, 3.30 Eastern. Hit me up there on this very channel. Uh, bet Buffalo at 11. I think it closes, what, 13 or 14, Tom? Um, yeah, about, yeah. They're, they're up 35 to 7, feeling pretty good. I switched that game off because I only had like one ESPN plus feed. Old Dominion comes back to, to to tie the game, basically, ridiculously so. On a fourth and 11, they, they, they throw a jump ball, and the kid catches it. Then they have some of their backup players run onto the field to help celebrate, and they get hit with a 15-yard celebration penalty, which backs up the extra point. And then college kickers, the kid misses the extra point, and they lose 34-35 after all of that. Which I was loving because I have Old Dominion on the under for the season win total anyway. So if they beat Buffalo, I'd have been pretty annoyed. But I, I did feel bad for that kid. And is, is there? Oh, okay, DJ Matt. I thought it was. Never mind. I thought Old Dominion's quarterback was an old Buffalo quarterback, but I was going to be like, no way. That kid's way too old to be him. That kid can run a little bit. The the, the mm-hmm. DJ Matt kid. He's mm-hmm. he's not bad. I didn't get a chance to see it, but my heart broke for you. Speaking of heartbreaking losses, but are we going to lose the over in this Cal Washington game? Yeah, I am just – this is just sitting there like, like, like a – oh. Well, I don't know. So, Cal's got the ball at its own 38. We've got six minutes left in the game. It's like, it's is this a scoreless five. second half so far? It's going to be a scoreless final 20 minutes, I think. Yeah. I'm getting, I'm getting karma for that Boise, Oklahoma State under last week. Dancing there oh. 21-20 all the way mm-hmm. to uh, to Ticket Town. Mm-hmm. So, that was very annoying today. What did that line close at? 71? Which over under for Boise, Utah State? Oh, yeah, that was at least 70. It opened at 63. It danced out to 70 or 71. And the live total at halftime, I was on the halftime show for CBS Sports HQ. Live line, I think, was 48. (laughs) Didn't even get there. It finished 27 to 3. I guess don't play 10 a.m. local games or something. That 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 <laughs> that's wild. Did you and watch like, it? it? Wasn't like yeah, like they moved the ball. Yeah, they had like well, they had over 900 yards of offense. Utah State in the third quarter had three scoring opportunities, as defined by ball inside the 40 yard line. Those three scoring opportunities resulted in a missed field goal, an interception, and a turnover on downs. <laughs> That'll do it. I did, however, get lucky today on one. Like I, I got screwed on some on some really bad beats and some moves that I was like, okay, this this is I was on the right side, move wise. I had the over forty seven in Clemson, NC State. That's nasty. Yeah, I hope you took a bath. <laughs> I hope you took a long soak after that. 
I think I got a push on 48. Yeah, for you did. Lock. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was maybe 47 and a half, 48, 48 and a half. I saw somebody on Twitter just jumping in the mentions talking about the 48 and a half still cashed. So I NC State Clemson total might be one of those where uh having the right number. That one that's that that's a that's a bud descriptor right there. You know, having the right number does matter. Um I want to say something about Kentucky. Okay. Kentucky, I like conceptually what they're trying to do, right? They're trying to run the St. Louis Rams type stuff. They have a pretty good run game with a good offensive line. And Will Will Levis is just in very intent. Like when they give him all right, it's play action time, Will, he wants to just chuck the ball deep. And it just whether it's open or not. Um I don't know, man. Like this makes me more concerned about Missouri's defense because they they carved up Missouri's defense. And tonight against South Carolina, they really didn't carve it, you know, all that well. I kind of like what they're doing on offense. It's just not quite there yet. And I don't know that Kentucky's defense is all that good yet. I think South Carolina's offense is probably probably pretty bad. That's that's what I have on Kentucky. I know Coca Coca put in uh put in some different teams to talk about to finish out the show in the in the private chat. Oh, uh Iowa like I don't I'm not scared at all by the fact that Colorado State had that at 14-14. I mean that was a that was a Colorado State Super Bowl and Iowa was just trying to get the W by any means necessary. Well also Iowa's offense isn't very good. It's like it, that's the thing with Iowa, it's the thing we've been talking about all season long. It's going to be hard for them to dominate teams when their offense is as bad as it is. Period. I don't care who you're playing. Like, unless their defense is scoring touchdowns, which again, they scored another defensive touchdown today. They they returned a fumble first score. They're just, I mean, they averaged they averaged five yards per play. So I'll give them credit there. But it's just there's really no ex- explosion to it. It's just very slow. It's very methodical. It is complimentary football, but it's just not that intimidating in the slightest. It, if if like I'm more scared of their defense than I am their offense. That's for sure. It. Yeah, I, I now I'm forgetting what I was going to say. Well, they they had a couple big plays. All right, I'm I'm being unfair, but it's oh, just, Colorado State. Sorry. Is there a team you guys cannot figure out more than Colorado State? <laughs> this oh, team I, lost to, lost to Vandy. It lost to an FCS team. It goes on the road very shorthanded, like without a lot of its best players, and somehow beats a pretty decent Toledo team that could win the Mac, a, a Toledo team that went on the road today and handled ball state. And then I, it, I have no, with Iowa. they are a college football team. I like, <laughs> this is, this is a hundred percent. Like the, like, I don't know. You are a not very good college football team. Like all of those teams in your uh, power rating of one to one thirty that exist in the space between 50 and 75 you're not going to be able to figure out because the reason they're between 50 and 75 is they're not a very good college football team which means that if everything falls in line and if everything works then yeah their their ceiling could be competing for a couple quarters with iowa but the reason that they exist between 50 and 75 is that they have shortcomings in talent and they have inconsistency in execution so i i i kind of feel like colorado state's variance is what makes them intriguing and just a a college football team let's play a game here okay where does utsa finish in every power five conference besides the sec 
um, in the ACC Coastal third in the Atlantic second <laughs> <laughs> no but shout seriously shout out to UTSA getting another big win beating Memphis coming back from a they were, they were down 21 nothing after the first they were down 28 to 14 going into the third they outscored the Tigers 17 to nothing in the fourth quarter they are very much like I I feel like as long as Cincinnati doesn't lose twice they're going to get a new year six spot but I think at the end of the year UTSA will be the second best group of five team in the country I don't know if I can go their second best, but like they they really know what they are and they do it extremely well. Like we're gonna run the ball a 1990s NFL uh you know back on in a contract year type amount with sincere McCormick. <laughs> yes, and we're 42 play. carries. Yeah. <laughs> like when's the last time you saw a guy get 42 carries in the game who was not sincere McCormick? I don't know, but he was wearing a Wisconsin jersey. <laughs> no, his name was Derek Henry and he won the Heisman. True, right. <laughs> this is why we needed Chip to come back because in the wilderness, uh, there was a comment in the comment section that said, "Like next time Chip goes to renegotiate, uh, show him this." It was Tom, it was Tom and I trying to uh, to drive the show. It was driving to the mountain. I think Fernelli and Bud exchange boogers. That's not nice, Samuel. What is that about? Um, is is anyone use- talking all the smack saying Chip looks like he's going to school picture day and we and t- Tom and, and Bud exchange boogers? And- I think Samuel's coca, honestly. I don't know. Wow. <laughs> Did y'all get a chance to talk Iron Skillet, SMU, TCU? No. Briefly. Um, no, we did. We mentioned that TCU gives up oh, bombs to start yeah. the game every single game. Oh, that's, that's just what they do. You can't trust them because they're like... Case Garber's bombed it all over. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, that game played out exactly as I expected. And the fact that SMU won is a positive for SMU, but I don't change my TCU grade all that much. That was the game that I thought could happen. Is that fair? I don't change my TCU grade at all because I never thought TCU was that good to begin with. So the fact that you're not changing it is kind of concerning to me. Could TCU make it to the big 12 championship game? No, no, no. Because TCU, when I say my grade for TCU, I'm not calling like my preseason TCU's a Big 12 dark horse. I'm looking at TCU as a team that has a high explosive potential without being uh, consistent enough defensively to be able to, you know, pull everything together and win. Chip, I think that's that's I think that's fair. I just think TCU has enough talent that I'm still going to blindly. Uh, and irrationally believe that I can get I can get them to the Big Twelve title game before they lose. I don't oh, you're just asking about your future bet? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, I'm not saying will you pick them to get there. I'm just saying like how dead is that thing? Should should I move it from like the most likely dead to definitely dead column? I think so. <laughs> is it as dead as my bowling green under one and a half? No, it is not because that one it, is dead. Is it as dead as my Louisiana Monroe under? <laughs> they beat Troy tonight. Yeah, yeah. Them, Detroit. How about that? Yeah. Man, that was impressive. Yeah, very impressive. Okay, um, we will save the top four teams right now. Alabama, Georgia. Is Oregon losing? No. Oregon and, and Arkansas. <laughs> There's three SEC teams in my top four. 
<laughs> now, I would probably go Penn State over Arkansas right now, but I don't know. I, I think the resumes are pretty close. I, I think it's probably Penn State is the fourth. Really? But, like, would you take Penn State over Florida on a neutral right now? No. I wouldn't either. So Florida the fourth? If we're doing power rankings, but not resume. Okay. Let's just go with Alabama, Georgia, Arkansas, and Florida. Florida. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that is the official Cover 3 yeah. podcast, week four instant reaction show, top four, Alabama, Georgia, Arkansas, Florida. Mm-hmm. Print the graphic. Yeah, let's go. Print the graphic, <laughs> aggregate the content, share it on social, and tell your friends. And tell your friends to download the Cover 3 podcast. You can download it wherever you get your podcast. You can watch us live here on YouTube.com slash Cover 3. You can follow him on Twitter at BudElliott3. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you for coming back. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.